Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. Pod Control is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud native. Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to the PodCTL podcast. It's good to be back with everybody again. It's good to be back after a couple of weeks of traveling and KubeCon. And this week, you know, one of the topics that I've been very interested in and, and have not ever really had a chance to dive deep enough into, but I've been hearing about it for a while, is this topic called GitOps. Um, you know, the idea that we're going to begin to more deeply integrate Git uh, repositories of, of sort of central sources of truth in our workflows, both for our applications and our platforms. And so very, very excited today to talk to some folks that really understand this very, very well. Uh, very excited to have Alexis Richardson, co-founder and CEO of Weave with us to talk about GitOps and a topic that you know, Alexis, you guys have really been uh, kind of pioneering and talking about around both KubeCon, but but a lot of events. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Brian. So real quick, um, for anybody who, hard to imagine people wouldn't know you, especially if they're around the CNCF events, but for anybody who may not know you, give us a little bit of your background, both prior to Weave and then, you know, what got you excited about uh, about founding Weave a couple of years ago? Prior to Weave, this is like the prehistory for our tech world. Of, I mean, prior, I don't remember what, prior, was I was in the womb or something, I don't know. Um, prior to Weave, I, I started my career in uh, financial services. I got a job at Goldman Sachs, uh, where I became a derivatives trader. And that was appealing to me because previously I'd been doing a lot of gambling uh, in sports betting and poker. And I just thought it would be... Um, more fun to bet someone else's money than mine after I <laughs> lost so many times. Uh, and I had a maths background. and I'd also done philosophy, which is a good background for this kind of stuff. So I got into that. While I was there, we uh, had a lot of fun uh, doing a proprietary trading at Goldman, but we used a lot of technology in order to just make decisions. And I found myself doing a lot of C coding and uh, then uh, as I got exposed to the bigger side of the business, I realized that the business was dependent on technology, but didn't actually really do so, use it explicitly in the way that I thought it could. So I, I thought it'd be fun because it was the beginning of the dot-com era, and everyone was excited about that, to leave and do a tech company, got together with some other people who had a similar background, and did a what we call a front office application server written in Java. And we had this great idea that you could just write plain old Java and be able to write you know, enterprise applications like trading systems and gaming systems. But this is all before Spring uh, made that possible. And we have done it in our own weird way. And everybody said, why don't we just carry on using EJVs instead of your crappy system? So we had a few customers, but didn't really go anywhere. We embedded some really cool caching technology, but only sold it to a few people and got a bit of funding and realized that it wasn't going to work. Almost got acquired and blew up. So it was a disaster. And I realized that you know, we needed to start again. Um, did open source this time because that was beginning, you know, when I was, my first company was actually a Finnish company. So we got exposed to MySQL early on, uh, thought that open source was the way forward. I ended up founding a company called Cohesive FT, which is still going, now called Cohesive Networks. Uh, through that, um, started to build out an open source stack for finance, which led us to realize that there was a missing piece messaging. So we created RabbitMQ, uh, started the JV with another company, span it out raised some money for it, got acquired by VMware, came in with Redis, around Redis and Rabbit there for a while. And then when VMware turned into Pivotal, I was given Spring to look after. So I was in charge of Spring Boot and Spring Cloud, as then was creating a new world of Spring, because we needed that for this new PaaS big data world that we could see coming over the horizon with 
uh, what we now call cloud native. And then while I was doing that, I could see that we were using this tool called Cloud Foundry. Um, a lot of the technology was incredibly useful, but it wasn't being used in a way that was easy for all use cases. Uh, so we were trying to do things like build Reddit services using Cloud Foundry, and it was a lot harder than building a web app. So we decided to, to focus on the core infrastructure, which was containers, just after Docker started to appear and make that popular and become a containers company back in 2014. Uh, sort of founded Weaveworks and asked, well, what's, this, what's the one thing stopping people from building applications? And the answer was they didn't have a network. So we started to build a, a free network for containers. And then we built a monitoring tool and we did another thing and another thing. And suddenly we're here still. And now we're a platform company because that's what people need. They need platforms. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, a couple of years ago at KubeCon, I believe it was, uh, and this may not have been the first time you guys were talking about it, there was there was talks about this interesting concept called GitOps. And, you know, as, as I was digging into it a little bit, it sounded a little bit to me, at least initially, like what you saw with these PaaS platforms. You mentioned Cloud Foundry and, and others do that where it's developers write some code, uh, they commit the code, and it eventually gets into the platform. Um, but I think that that kind of oversimplifies what GitOps is. For So for anybody who has heard about this and is new to the concept, give us the basics of what GitOps is and, and kind of what it's attempting to, to solve, what challenges it's attempting to solve. Yeah, I mean, GitOps is an operating model for cloud native. It's a way to um, deal with a whole cloud native stack from machines up to applications, services, and functions uh, that, so that you can control and automate and manage your entire stack from config. So it gives you the ability to do multi-cluster application management for cloud native through config management, which um, is very appealing if you're a developer because nowadays config management can be done through Git. Gives you a um, irrevocable way, which is signable and encryptable, of making changes that are auditable as well using simple developer workflows. <clears throat> so you can be a developer, you can make changes to your system and they can have an impact on operations. So you can, what's, how does it work? You basically have uh, orchestration tools like Terraform and Kubernetes and, and other things as well. We wrote a tool called Flagger and another one called Flux, all of which have the job of given a description of the system, uh, make sure that the running system that you can observe matches the, the description of the system that you've been given. So every time you drift away from your intended config, the orchestrator can pull you back to your, can converge you back to the correct state. And if it sees it happening and can't fix it, it can fire alerts. And that gives you a very simple model for updating and managing a system because you make, you, you do an action, which is a deployment. Um, you observe the results. You decide what to do about the results, how you manage it, and then you might do another action like, like fix a, a bug. And so you can go around and around this loop all day and you can really speed up operations this way. And it's not just about the things that people used to do with SVN and Git 10, 10 years ago where when Puppet appeared, it's also about actually making real-time operational changes. Now, tools like Kubernetes and, and Flux and Flagger and Terraform are so sophisticated that you can use them to really make any operational change in production. Yeah. So this is how people are going to do production management going forward. So the same way that Git revolutionized development and build, and now it's also going to revolutionize operations. Uh, and developers are going to be in charge. That's the cool thing. Yeah, G give me a, give me an example. So you, you know you talked about you've got you've got Git as this sort of single source of truth, um, 
and then you have a declarative system like Kubernetes that's being used. What's a scenario where you would have something that you expected out of Git, Git, Git was your source of truth, you've got something declarative like Kubernetes. How, how do those two things get out of sync where, where this starts to become, uh, you know, GitOps becomes a useful thing to, to resolve that, that difference, if you will? So right now we are doing continuous deployment uh, using, using Git. So we, um, instead of having a expensive, complicated tool like Spinnaker or using a CI tool like Jenkins is writing scripts to do deployment, which then my model will succeed. Uh, what happens is that we run agents inside Kubernetes and we let Kubernetes handle deployment for us. So the job of the agents is to, just to make Kubernetes aware of new images that are available and what are the correct configs for those images um, so that new apps and services can be reconfigured or deployed or even just updated and tell Kubernetes, hey, look, you've got a new image for this microservice, go deploy it now. And Kubernetes can pull it in and deploy it with the requisite number of replicas. So we can do CD through Kubernetes itself. Kubernetes pulls the changes in from the image repos and the config repos. And it means that operations is much simpler and secure because you no longer have people pushing code from Jenkins directly into production through some security barrier when they get hacked. So if I, if I think about GitOps at a you know, technology level, um, you've got Git as the equivalent to what people might used to have thought of as a CMDB. It's your single source of truth. It's the place where code is. There's You can collaborate around it. It's got history around it, logging around it. Um, and then you've got a, a CI and CD model, um, which is both going to be your interaction with your developers on the CI side, your platform on the CD side. Um, what I understand that from a developer's perspective. What assumptions does that then make about the underlying inf- infrastructure for the platform? How, how does GitOps interact with uh, you know, machines, scaling out machines, load balancers, those types of things? That's a really good question. And the answer is that, that, that things are changing all the time around this. So, for example, Terraform is a tool which makes it possible to uh, provision machines based on a declarative description. Um, it is quite hard to completely automate Terraform deployments, actually. So at least for us, we've not been able to get past one or two manual human steps um, just because of warts and edge cases. And I think to get the the diff alerts if your Terraform run state, has just observable run state has drifted from your uh, desired state in the Terraform YAMLs or, or whatever they're called, the uh, HCLs, um, to get your terror diffs, you need to buy the, the commercial product. But there is a solution there. Um, you know, Kubernetes is good for container clusters. If you look at the um, the tool that I mentioned before, Flagger, which is WeaveWorks on GitHub, look at Flagger there, you'll see there is a set of YAMLs for managing and automating a canary deployment, which means we can do feature flags and progressive delivery as GitOps by having uh, descriptions of what are the different stages of the progressive deployment and how they are related. For example, deploy something in in 5% traffic weight increments and uh, stop deploying it if the following critical threshold is breached. Um, So you can do lots of things there. In terms of load balancing, um, networking, we've had conversations with some people who make routers or routers, if you're in Europe, uh, who want to have more declarative ways of managing networks. And I think that's not yet a fully declarative uh, world. Gotcha. gotcha. So it's a changing picture. Yeah. No, it makes makes sense. And 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 uh, yeah, I was 
that was always the other piece I was trying to wrap my head around was how far does this go uh, in terms of doing that. Um, I had a chance to watch a video that you had done uh, from continuous, uh, I think it was a continuous delivery event in London. And you made a really interesting point. Um, I think oftentimes we talk about CICD as if it's one thing, um, you know, the continuous integration piece and then the continuous delivery. And you made a very interesting point about the separation of CI and CD, especially around sort of separation of interest, um, especially around security. Can you talk a little bit about what the CI function does in GitOps versus the CD function and, and why you talk about them as sort of separate things, um, you know, especially for separation of interest uh, security reasons? So in CI, in what we call CI ops, deployment is managed by running CI scripts, CI jobs at the, at the end of the whole CI process, which means that if you run a lot of them at the same time, because you're making a lot of real-time changes, and one or two things break, you can actually be in an unknown state. And you have to, to get back into a correct state, you have to redeploy from scratch. Um, and when I talk to people, enough people have run into this problem that they're very interested in finding out what, what's an alternative way to do this. Um, in CD, CD using GitOps, you let Kubernetes do the deployment by running extra gadgets in it like Flux, or Argo CD is another one. And they will basically tell Kubernetes, hey, you need to update yourself. And what Kubernetes will do is it will keep trying to update itself correctly until it is in the final observable correct state. And there are some blog posts describing this on the WeaveWorks blog, which I highly recommend you read. Um, so you don't end up in this partial, partially finished, half broken, half unbroken state. You either fail or you succeed, generally. That means that you can stop fussing about CD and automation and start doing real work instead of waiting for deployments to, to complete or smash up. It's also generally quite efficient in terms of speed. The other thing is security. So Gartner have published some really good pieces on uh, CICD as a potential threat vector. Basically, if you can own somebody's Jenkins systems, you might be able to get into their production systems unless they've been quite careful. So there are various mitigating mechanisms against that. But it's far better just to let Kubernetes talk to the repos and not let people use kubectl or, or Jenkins to talk directly to Kubernetes in production. So then what happens is to your question, CI still has an incredibly important role, but by no means saying CI is unimportant. But what CI does is it puts things into repos. It, it, it um, manages the continuous integration cycles and workflows around that. It can ask for test clusters to be available, or it can even set them up by requesting they be set up. But ultimately, it's not allowed to do a deployment directly into those clusters. So you just say, give me a cluster, and here's an update to my repo. And then the tool that's running inside the cluster will pull it out of the repo and deploy it. Or it'll pull out a new config and, and get that to change the, uh, the, the running state of the system. So that's much more secure because you've got a clear separation firewall represented by your repos, your image repos, and your config repos, which only contain immutable artifacts. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And and, and again, I <clears throat> I appreciate that you guys call that out because I think sometimes it it gets blurred and, and then you get into actual security discussions with people and they they want to understand those those steps. You know, I, I should have asked you this at the beginning. Um, as you as as Weave is talking about about GitOps, 
Um, sometimes software companies have a tendency to just talk about technology as if it's technology. For anybody who doesn't know, give folks a sense of the type of online SaaS services that we've run that you guys are, are gaining or building off of real experience having run these things in production. Um, for- yeah, right. Thank you. Um, so actually, one of the most important things of all is that this isn't about technology at all to begin with. It's actually about how do I make changes in my organization to adopt faster delivery practices, being able to deploy multiple times a day. You know, if I adopt containers and GitOps and Kubernetes, do I need to change my operations team into a different kind of thing? What are the roles of my people? And so a lot of our business is actually selling consulting services and education and workshops to folks who want to know what's my journey towards Kubernetes Nirvana. And the answer is it might start with some some elementary stuff around how do you, how you do CI/CD and, and what is Git and how does it work and when is it safe to use Git when is it not? How do I connect up my Git systems to my enterprise systems? All of these things are incredibly important and lead to gradual changes in understanding in the organization. So it's not a big bang approach; it's a very pragmatic, hands-on approach. In terms of the technology and products that, that we sell, um, there's really two. So um, commercially. We sell a Kubernetes platform product, a Kubernetes subscription, which allows you to get a distribution for open source upstream Kubernetes that is actually managed completely through GitOps. So you can pay to have security patches, maintenance, upgrades, downgrades from Weaveworks uh, tagged Kubernetes, uh, which is awesome. And then we, on top of that, we can sell you management for multiple cluster solutions like EKS, as well as open source Kubernetes and, and have mixtures of enterprise and cloud. So that's our that's our core enterprise product aimed at you know platform teams and big companies that are on the operational journey to, to cloud native. And then for people who've already got running clusters, we have a SaaS product which bundles up some of our open source and adds a few things to it, uh, like uh, it can, allows you to integrate your deployments, which is open source Flux with GUIs for your audit trail, systems of record, and show it how it ties to monitoring the results of your deployment. So that's called Weave Cloud, it's a SaaS. And we're bringing out more and more and more combinations of these things as time goes by. Uh, many open source projects, go look at the WeaveWorks GitHub uh, for those as well. Yeah. Um, let me ask you one last question because I know we're, we're a little bit tight on time. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the developer interaction for cloud native applications tends to be around stateless applications, new applications. Uh, what's, the, what's the place or the role for this emerging technology operators um, in, a, in a GitOps world? Is there, is there an interaction pattern you're seeing yet for GitOps with these sort of complex stateful uh, operator types applications? Um, stateful apps, that's a good one. Um, so here's an interesting thing. Basically, if you take the Flux technology, um, and go into the Flux dev mailing list, uh, which I think is a Google group, you'll see there's a document, one of the team, one of the community has published around extending Flux to support, customize, you know, JSON, KSON, JK, um, a whole bunch of things, including arbitrary CRDs. So, you know, the way that we're going to deal with stateful applications and operators and CRDs is by allowing the CRDs to give you the intended state of the stateful operator. And that's part of it. And then there's a whole load of interesting, hard to get right complexity. Some of these stateful applications around doing things in the right order. So we're keeping an eye on the community there. There's some interesting projects coming up, like obviously the Red Hat folks 
with you are doing the you know the operator framework. There's also uh, Kudo that seems to be coming out of Mesosphere and uh, a bunch of other things as well. So you know we, you know we're not trying as a company, certainly not trying to do everything. We see GitOps as a, a big shift in how cloud native is going to operate from the old ways to fully declaratively managed uh, systems, and everybody's involved in some way. So it's it's exciting, but CRDs are the key. Yeah, yep. very, very good. Well, listen, uh, Alexis, thank you as always for the time this morning. Um, folks, there will be a bunch of things in the show notes to go dig into this, uh, you know, both the content from Weaveworks, uh, from the blog that are out there, lots of information, as well as some, some very, very good videos from Alexis about, you know, how you can apply these things uh, to your environment. So with that, Alexis, thank you so much for being on today, folks, as always. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for telling a friend. Um, and with that, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podcontrol.com, P-O-D-C-T-L, or at Pod Control on Twitter. We'll talk to you again next week.